0: Our next partner has a product I literally use every day. I'm not joking, you guys. This year, I was looking for something, a new supplement to take to give me energy to make sure that I'm getting the vitamins I need and also the greens that I need. With a schedule like mine, sometimes health can go first. And so I wanted to make sure that I started the year out right. So I am taking Athletic Greens and it has been great. One of the things that I love about it is that it comes with this awesome packaging where You can have travel packages, and because of my travel schedule, I want to make sure I stay on my routine when I'm traveling. So this comes with a nice cup that I can take on the go with me and my packages and take them in the morning, and I'm all set, and I can incorporate this into my travel schedule. The lifestyle of AG1 is friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, all the freeze, whatever you call it. This this one is safe for you to take. It supports mental health, clarity, and alertness. And that's one of the things. I've noticed a difference with me having more energy and just being at my best. Um, And I think this is helpful for you. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in these winter months when you don't get as much sunlight. And this is really important for those with us with melanin skin where it's harder for us to get our vitamin D. 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids in 2020. And so not only are you getting your supplements, but you're doing good because AG is donating meals um, to kids across the world um, in 2020. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient and daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu, cold season, the Rona season, all of the seasons. It's just one scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. You just take this one scoop and there you have it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. These are the ones that I use. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash btb. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash btb to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Believe me, you will not regret it.
1: You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. What are
0: you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each
1: week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding.
0: But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love.
1: We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end.
0: Hello, Be The Bridge community. I am so excited. Um, I have a special guest, and this special guest is from here in the Atlanta area. Um, I had the privilege of meeting um, him and his staff um, last fall and so i've been excited to i gave you a sneak peek around christmas when i listed some of my favorite things but um i'm so excited to uh, be able to um have him on the podcast so that you guys can get familiar with um the work that um his organization is doing here in the Atlanta area. Um, and so I want you to welcome Benjamin Wills. He is the founder and the head school, head of school at Peace Preparatory Academy. Um, this is a Christ center independent community school located in English Avenue, which is one of the heart of Atlanta's most under-resourced communities. Peace Prep exists to educate whole children, support whole families, and provide growth and change opportunities for whole communities. And I love this model. Um, if you follow me, you know that I'm a big advocate for African New Life now. I'm a big advocate for Peace Prep, and you'll hear more from us about Peace Prep as the year goes along. Um, he, you know, and one of the his life mission... Um, of following Jesus and advocating for those without, um, th- th- those who voices are unheard, are they experience um, and for them to experience human flourishing, particularly in children and families. He currently serves as the board on the board of the Atlanta Mission, um, the Good Samaritan Health Center, and the Oaks ATL Community Development. Um, you're pretty busy, Benjamin. Yeah. And so I am, you know, he and his wife embody their vision as they stand in the gap of advocating for children um, that don't have um, their voices heard by opening their homes as foster and adoptive parents. They currently live in English Avenue with their five children. Wait a minute. Okay. So, okay. I'm glad to have you here, but I think I missed that part when we talked. I didn't realize you had five children.
2: Yeah, I have five children. Um, my oldest, 11. Youngest, getting ready to be five. Um, and uh, we've adopted uh, three children, and so five total. Uh, okay, five yeah. total.
0: So the oldest is 11, and the youngest is five. Yep. Okay. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. You, you're doing all You're right. all right. But I, ha- I, I, I missed that. But that is so good. Um, I'm so glad to have you. Can you tell, I know you, we read the bios, um, but I want you to just tell us a little bit about the um, Peace Prep story. Um, this, you know, our audience, they are justice advocates and um, you know, and you know, this month is Black History Month, and I think this is imperative for us to have conversations—not just only about history, but I think it's about for us to have um, conversations around Black joy, about around um, Black presence. You know, and these are things—you know—things that are impacting our communities as it relates to education, um, housing, and and you know, um, wealth gap. All of those things—that is Black history. But what I what I thought about when I thought about this with you is that you're actually making back black history now and so I think um, for what you're doing in that community and um, I got to see it with my own eyes and um, I just love it and and I wanted to have you on here but can you tell us a little bit where the bio drops off you know you can't put everything in the bio but can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and about um, the peace prep story
2: yeah, absolutely. I'm just extremely humbled and honored to talk with you. And um, it's been a journey. And so, yeah, you can't get it all in those words that you need in the bio. But 10 years ago this February during Lent, I spent 40 days and 40 nights asking God um, to allow me to physically dream. And so saying, you know, God, how'd you make me what you make me to do? And what does this whole love neighbor and love God business look like in the context of a community like English Avenue? So a community where 60% of the homes are vacant or abandoned, where the schools have been failing for decades. Um, it's the largest open air heroin uh, market in the Southeastern United States. Um, sex and human trafficking is part of the story here. Um, but there's also kids and families here. And so just really wrestling with God and saying, what does it look like to raise a family here and to live um, intentionally here in this place? And the Lord was kind to show me a vision during those 40 days and 40 nights. And so I saw these three gears, whole children, whole families, and whole communities. And I saw those three gears turning together. And what I believe God was revealing to me was a picture uh, for systemic justice. We talk a lot about systemic injustice and how the systems are working just as they were intended. Um, But we believe God has a picture for flourishing in the lives of people. And that if there's a place in our city where the life expectancy is 20 years less than other parts of our city, um, that that's an issue that Christ followers should be concerned with. And so we got to work. We started with a school. Um, We planted in 2015 with 12 kids in one kindergarten class. We've been adding a grade every year to the point of now we're serving 70 kids in grades pre-K through sixth grade, and we'll keep adding a grade until we get to 12th grade. Um, But we've also started to address housing, Um, so launched another community development ministry to focus on safe, quality, dignified, affordable housing. And so what we're really trying to do is look at the whole ecosystem of which uh, people that got made are being nourished in and saying how can we bring whatever gifts, whatever skills, whatever talents we have and leverage those to see uh, shalom or peace come to be in the life of a child and a family. And so that's uh, the kind of roots of the work that we're doing.
0: That's so good. And I think it's important for us as, um, you know, those who embody, um, justice and we're justice advocates and we're seeking, um, that shalom, that reconciliation. Um, I, I think it's important for us to, um, also not you know, we got to do both and we have to talk about the problems, um, but we also have to talk about the solutions. And I think yeah. um, this is a part of the solution to what, um, with some of the systemic um, issues that we're seeing in our education system and our housing system and the approach, like you said, these three gears where it's not that you just said, okay, let's just plan a school in the area, you know, and then, you know, whatever. Um, First of all, you live there um, in that community. Um, secondly, you know, you're looking at the whole child and the whole family. I love that. Tell us, you know, and I know, um, when I was going through the area, this is an area, and I, I'm just going to be honest, like I, I've lived in Atlanta for a while. I moved away and I lived in Austin, Texas. For those of you who still think I'm in Austin, Texas, I'm not in Austin, Texas. I live in the great Atlanta, city of Atlanta right now, although Austin was great too for me. I'm back in Atlanta, but um, I lived here and then I moved away for five years, uh, five and a half years, and then moved back. Um This is just an area um, that you didn't really, that I really wasn't familiar with, that I didn't go there. I worked um, right at um, um, Coca-Cola, you know, went to um events at Georgia Tech, you know, but it's just never crossing, you know, it's always those railroads are crossing that highway where you get into this geographical um, you know, injustice of of racism that that we have and um, you know, I I heard about it but didn't wasn't familiar with it. So my first time going over there was when I went to Peace Prep, you know. Mm-hmm. That was my first time going there. And, you know, and a part of me, I'm a little embarrassed even and and say that because we can be so detached from um, the injustice and the hurt and the harm in our communities. And um, but one of the things I saw when I was driving there, I saw all this community development, like new um, re, um, remodeled. Um, like apartment complexes. And I was like, wow, this is great. This is awesome. Um, what what the city is doing, you know, this is what I thought, right?
2: Yeah.
0: And then I get in and talk to Peace Prep <laughs> and find out that these are things that you are doing um, yep. in that community. So um, tell me a little bit about that. We, we, we can come back. Just give me a little, um, we're going to tell me a little bit about that area, the history of that area, and then why there's such a need for, um, that type of community development, you know, and, um, and, um, you know, and.
2: Yeah, so English Avenue, like um, many communities in our country, if you're not in Atlanta, um, experienced something called white flight. So in the 50s, as African Americans began to own property and move into English Avenue from the black neighborhood of the south, Vine City, uh, white people started to leave. And then in the late 50s, as schools were still segregated, they took the white-only school that was in English Avenue and made it a black-only school. And that was incredulous for white people. They couldn't live in a neighborhood where black children would go to school. And so um, there was a disinvestment in that way from white families specifically. Um, Then we know about sort of housing policy. We know about, in the 80s, crack cocaine and sort of the war on drugs and how that decimated communities. And then you get into heroin, opioids, human trafficking, disinvestment um, because of a lack of home ownership. And you sort of have the perfect storm for the kinds of things that we see today. It's just not an environment for people to flourish. We talk a lot, uh, and we use the language ecosystem, right? What kind of ecosystem are people growing up in? There are no grocery stores here. Um, There was not a public park here until five years ago. There's not a a library or a community center. And so there's really just nothing here to support the fabric of um, children and families thriving. And so when we came, um, we wanted to look at education, yes, because that was what God had put on our hearts. I was a teacher. Um, Those were kind of the skills and talents I was bringing to the table, but you can't with integrity, talk about whole child, whole family and whole community and not address the living conditions. Um, And so where are people living? Where are the streets they're walking? Where are the places they're gathering? And how do all these things kind of feed into what a child's experiencing when you have them in school? And so we just started to honestly just through walking and through prayer, identify other needs that the Lord would invite us into with other skills and talents we had on our team. And so as we were sort of experiencing, okay, that used to be a house that some, one of our families lived in. Now it's boarded up. Oh, wait, that apartment complex used to be occupied. Now it's boarded up. Um, and we started to dig into those things and say, how can we be a part of um, turning around what's going on here so that um, kids and families can thrive in the place they are? We use the language Oaks of Righteousness, um, that these are a planting of the Lord's, and how do we create the conditions for them to flourish? And so um, that's sort of how we got into that and sort of the backdrop of what we were experiencing.
0: Yeah. I think, and, you know, when you start looking at, when you say 60% of the homes were boarded up, um, you know, that, that is a cesspool for like crime and, um, and, you know, human trafficking, all of those things. And um, it makes that area and the children in it vulnerable to um, illiteracy. It makes them vulnerable to human trafficking. It makes them um, vulnerable to drug abuse and, and, when you have a system that's breeding um, a, a community where everything feels hopeless, you know, that's when right. it looks hopeless, you feel hopeless. And, um, that int- and stills um creates lawlessness you know and so um so it's not for us to like you said just go in there and build a school and you know expect people you know students to understand math and all the other things when they're dealing with all of this other trauma when they're walking outside of the school you know and and so i love you know one of the things i saw like you know the The apartment complexes were so nice that were, you know, that are being um, um, redesigned, redeveloped, you know, over there and that helps people take pride in their community when you see things happening again. And it shouldn't be that these things don't happen until white people begin to move in. Um, yeah. These, sh- these things should happen when Brown and um, black bodies are present. you know, um, you know, um, everyone deserves to live in a-, a community that is safe, you know, yep. um, that is healthy. Um, everyone deserves to have a grocery store, you know, yeah. um, You know, and so... Just, and then a lot of you may say, well, you know, you could just get in your car and go, you know, some miles down the street. You know, mo- most people in these communities, they don't have access to transportation, you know, and, and then, until you start understanding poverty and, and the impact of poverty on a community, sometimes we can look through our own personal lens um, for those solutions. And you really have to um, do what you call asset development in the community to really understand. Um, what the community needs and what they're lacking, and why it's lacking. I think it's good for you to understand the historical factors that created what's happening. And you see this all across this country. So it's not just here in Atlanta, but you can look at cities and, and states all across this country where, you know, especially um, um, after desegregation, where you had white flight. You know, yep. and when you're dealing with, you know, when you dealt with redlining, you know, and then you have devaluation of homes that were never revalued. You're, de- you know, and how we build wealth and all these different things. So there's so many layers, um, um, and so these are some of the area. Th- this is some of the um, um, the things the decline that they're looking at in that in that area. Um, but one of the things you told me about some of the people that came out um Mm -hmm. of that area and you talked and then i saw this is there's this church on the corner and i know the church you partner with that church a lot and so we have a school and a church you know Mm -hmm. in that community um you know i I want you to talk about some of that relationship but also some of the people that actually came out of that community um you know that uh, predominantly black community now um in the atlanta area yeah,
2: so some some like well-known names that went to the English Avenue Elementary School, so Gladys Knight some of the pips, uh, more contemporary Herman Cain, um, and Maynard Jackson. Maynard Jackson was the first black mayor of a southern city and was extremely influential in the building of the Atlanta airport um, and some other things like that. Dr. King lived in Vine City, which is just south of us, and that was a choice he made to not live in Collier Heights, where a lot of the middle- to upper-class black families were moving. It was kind of their own black suburb. Um, but he wanted to live closer to people he was serving. And you can see, if you do a quick Google search of Dr. King Vine City, you can see him marching in the streets of Vine City advocating for housing, the same type of work that we're doing today. Um, and then in our physical building, Andrew Young had his first ever debate for a public office in that space. And so we're just, we're really steeped in an area that some, a lot of the black history and civil rights leaders that we're learning about. A lot of those things happen in and around this area specifically, um, but it doesn't really bear that resemblance when you drive through it today. And so one of the things we're really passionate about, and I think you alluded to this in your intro, was you know to have clear vision, you have to understand the past, you have to be rooted in the present, and you have to have a vision for the future. And it takes all three of those things. And so we try to do things to even intentionally bring up these conversations and tell these stories so people know, okay, everything you see here is not the full story. This was a thriving community from the 60s to the 80s when access to education was finally great. Granted to these families, you know, you have an elementary school in our community that was a, a white-only school, which meant that Black students had to go to school only half a day. So this is not a hundred years ago. Um, this is in some people who are still alive today only had the opportunity to go to school in the morning or after lunch, and so then you think about that. We've created a school where kids can go to school from seven thirty to five thirty. Can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? And really trying to say, how do we specifically address the things that were done harmfully to us when you talk about reconciliation, right? Um, we're specifically addressing those things in a way that honors that history, but talks about what's
0: needed to move forward.
2: It talks about what's needed to move forward. <laughs>
0: forward. Talks about what's needed to move forward. A Spoonful of Faith Children's Book. A Spoonful of Faith Children's Book is releasing February the 15th, 2022. I am so excited. This is a sweet book. It's a rhyming picture book that reminds young readers to make their dreams come true. A Spoonful of Faith is All It Takes. And this is the debut book from illustrator Jenna Holliday so i'm so excited about this jenna holiday is a graphic artist and freelance illustrator based in minneapolis her mixed media illustrations are inspired by the diversity of people in the world the love of botanical elements motherhood and faith in everyday life and i had the opportunity to see some of her illustrations they are beautiful and i think this is a book that everyone is going to want to have to make sure that your children's books are very diverse and they represent um, people from all over the world. And also in 2019, Jenna Holiday received the Minnesota State Arts Board Artist Initiative grant. And she has stationery in my favorite place, Target. So her book is going to be um, everywhere, even in Target. So you don't want to miss the debut book for Jenna Holiday. And it's called A Spoonful of Faith a Children's Book. I know, you know, I know a lot of people um, sometimes hear this model. And I think the thing that makes Peace Prep um really unique is that the whole child perspective, like the whole child, whole community, whole um, family perspective. And I want, I want you to talk about how that kind of functions, you know, within, in, with within there, because there was a question that um, when I was there and, I asked you that question, and you were like, "No, um, our, our parents are working." I because I asked you the question. I said, "Well, this is a um, like a private school. A peace Prep is considered like a private school, um, and um, you know." And so I said, "Do the parents of the children who are actually here?" you know, um, do they have to, like, serve or volunteer? And, you know, and you were like, because um, you see that all the time, where it's like, if, in order for your child to go here and you don't have to pay tuition, you got to, you know, do all these hours or whatever. And you said, we don't put that burden on our parents. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to talk a little bit about that that holistic um, approach and how that looks for um, the family in, in yeah. particular.
2: Yeah, and so I'll, I'll say this without throwing other models under the bus, but you had this sort of movement in American history recently of charter schools, right? Um, High-performing charter schools in low-income communities. And I think what we see with those oftentimes is they set this bar really high so that if you don't meet these certain qualifications, you're not gonna come there and you're not gonna fit in. And so what that becomes is you're really uh, skimming the cream off the top. And we feel like what the scriptures call us to as Christ followers is really to go the furthest depth, right? You leave the 99 to go find the one. You turn over the whole house to find the coin. Um, You're really looking intentionally for those kids and those families that are not seen and that are not heard. And so for us, it starts with that foundational belief that's formed by Scripture that says all people are made in God's image how do we find those who are not being seen by this world and put them in an opportunity to be seen and receive the nourishment that they deserve as image bearers of God and so that looks like making sure kids have food to eat so serving breakfast lunch and dinner serving snacks throughout the day um, making sure they're addressed academically but also socially having a therapist on staff that talks with kids that helps them um, with coping skills recovery from trauma just engaging in community together it looks like incorporating um, a biblical worldview to everything that we do through it something we call morning prayers. So starting all the kids off with a, a creed that the very first things they say in the day are, I'm valuable because Jesus died for me. Um, and then it looks like addressing their parents in that same way, saying, hey, you are an image bearer of God. You have something to offer us, to show us about the very image of God. So we honor you, we value you. We want to engage you in community and we want to address you from a place of want and need and not just prescribe to you something that we think from our our worldview, right? Like if, if you've been to college, or if you've lived any life of privilege, then you have uh, filters that you see the world through, and to say that those are the right ways to see the world um, dishonors people who are made in God's image. And so we're restoring dignity to people by saying, "You teach me something about God," um, and it also restores our dignity because we see God more fully. And so I think it's some some of it is addressing core beliefs, and then. It's a thousand daily decisions to choose to love people in a certain kind of way, not with an expectation that they're going to do something for us, not with an expectation that um, they're going to um, fund our school, but with an expectation that we're here to serve and walk alongside you and journey with you, um, but you have something to offer as well. And so really partnering with, with parents and saying, um, we're not just trying to, Take your kids and get them out of here. But we're trying to build a community together. And so it's kids and it's families that make up a community.
0: Um, You know, when we we talk about education, like there's, you know, um, the education system is so riddled with um, injustices and just um, and just everything we hear and see now within the education system Um, how is the education system failing our kids and what ways does peace prep provide an alternative a new way of of thinking um, you know for um, the current model yeah
2: Yeah, so I would say uh, our current education system, one, it structurally fails our kids because it fails to have a systems approach. It fails to have a holistic approach. It's only looking at um, the educational mindsets. And so I read something recently about trauma, um, and this sounds kind of crass, but trauma makes you dumber. Right. Like trauma impacts your ability to learn anything. So when we expect kids that are experiencing trauma all around them to show up and we're just going to uh, impart information to them as a transference of information, that's the only purpose of education. That's a failure from the beginning, right? This model that we're just going to kind of push you along through until you're old enough to then go into a world that you can can't compete in. So that's one. Two, I would say we're failing because we are applying these really economic principles to education. So we're applying capitalistic principles to education and saying, well, in this system, there's winners and losers. And so it's okay if some kids lose. And that's bad. We should not want any kid to fail, right? We should not want any kid to not be able to read or write or or be a member of society that has the the tools and skills to do something. And then I'll say the third thing is, you know, this was one you can Google and do some research on, but the school to prison pipeline. I mean, we are we are suspending and expelling African American kids at alarming rates for things that we do not suspend and expel white kids for. And what this does is it starts to put them on a path or a trajectory towards the criminal justice system, which is very, very bad. And so uh I think it's, it's the, the overarching theme here is that we have bad mindsets about what humans are and what vulnerable humans are specifically, right, as children. And we've got to rethink education from a more human-centered approach. I think Brian Stevenson says it really well when he says the opposite of criminalization is humanization. And I think that could be applied to the education system as well. That we have to start looking at these kids as image bearers of God, worth our, our every bit of our investment in. Uh, we have to start having conversations about equity and not equality. We have to start having conversations about how um, kids in black and brown communities learn differently than in white communities um, or just impoverished communities versus flourishing communities. Um, and we have to start to approach from a more human-centered type way and say, it's not just about Um, me giving you information. It's about really me um, teaching you to become something uh, from a place of belonging. And so we really want to say that education is about creating a community where you feel safe to explore your core identity and then where you can be launched into the world with the tools um, to live that out.
0: And I, I think we, and I think you pose a, a you know, just a, a good pause in there is like I think it's when we start talking about the um, the school to prison pipeline. You know, there's no other developed country that imprisons more people than America. Um, and if our answer to our um, to our problems um, is always like building more prisons there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with us like that's not that's first of all that is not um christ-like you know um when we 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 would rather not deal with the people we just want to throw people away Mm. we want to throw people away we don't want to deal with the brokenness you know and i think you know when you look at any other developed country and you know, I mean, like when we look at the numbers, like our numbers skyrocket as far as like people who are in prison. Um, and then when we look at our education system, you know, and we just go around in circles like, you know, with, you know, solutions within and it, it just progressively gets, you know, um, it's not getting better
2: Right, well, we've criminalized poverty to a degree, right? We've said that to be poor is to be bad, is to be fundamentally flawed, it's to choose uh, things that are illegal or seditious, and and that's just not the case, right? We understand more now. Um, We we have the books, whether we want to read them or not. We have the history, we have the data, and at this point, it's about moral choices so much more than it is about practical choices, right? We know um, economists will tell you Education is the number one factor in in class mobility. Um, From a Christ-centered perspective, we would say restorative justice is what God offers us, not retributive justice. And yet and still, we participate in all these systems that do not bear the image of Christ. And so I think as Christ followers, it's even more important for us to call these systems out and say, this is not the world God is making, this is not the story of scripture. And if we are if we wanna be a people that disrupts and makes the world look more like heaven on earth, which is what we see in the kingdom, um, then we have to not just go with the flow. The status quo will not uh, work any longer. We have to speak about those things and learn about them so that we can change them.
0: Cause there are some incredibly hard working poor people. You know, yeah, um, in our in our communities, and I know several of them. You know, some of in my family. You know, and I mm-hmm. think I think that's the same thing. We we see that when we look at other countries. You know, um, and I you know, and I think it's, you know we'll look at um, building a school and you know resources as it relates to other countries, but not thinking about the, our education system and the breakdown here um, within America. You know, like there's a way. Um, I don't feel like it's an either or. I think it's a both-and, you know, um, that we can do both. And so um, that's really important. Um, I wanted you to tell me maybe um, a story of um, um, community transformation that is happening um, in the area with maybe um, a family or um, something that's happened through your school, um, but just a, um, a story of transformation that's happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's so many kids and it's so many families, right? I always tell people it's a miracle to walk through our halls and to see our kids and to see the joy that they offer and to see them learning to read and to see them learning to um, do the things that they're able to do from the circumstances that we know they come. And so we see it every day. And I think um, in terms of specific kids and specific families, I would say the ones that have moved into the housing um, that you described earlier. So about four years ago, we just said, if we want kids to be here for 13, 14 years, right, pre-K through 12th grade, then we have to address the living conditions and we have to create conditions in which people can stay. And so if our neighborhood changes, but we're the property owners, then we can control rent prices and we can control quality and we can really do something about this. And since we've developed 32 um units of living, we've seen about 10 families from the school move into those units. We've had staff move into those units. And it's just created this incredible sense of community and flourishing and life and vitality. Um, I moved to this community for the first time 15 years ago. And so I've kind of watched it for about 15 years, um, just go through different stages where it was very depressing, where there wasn't life, where there weren't people living, there weren't kids playing outside. um, You didn't hear the sound of children. You heard more gunshots and sirens and things like that. And I would say what we're starting to see is that by addressing the physical condition as well as the communal aspects of it by what a school gathers, you're starting to see flourishing again. Um, and it's really beautiful. And um, those are things that we get to walk in and see daily. And so many of those families either were couch surfing before or living in um, substandard conditions. The sewage was running in their yard or there weren't lights turned on or there was garbage piled up because the landlords weren't taking care of those places. And so I think just to see that stability that's been created, I think simple things we take for granted, like seeing kids get to walk to school, um, seeing kids get to play outside, around the community in safe ways. Um, I think all those things that we're starting to see over the last seven years that we've been building the school have been just beautiful reminders. Um, They're almost like flowers that come in the spring. Um, There's just reminders of life, just reminders of cycles and seasons. Um, And it's just been a beautiful and miraculous thing to watch happen over time um, in our community.
0: And I think, you know, I think when we we talk about this, because you're talking about building affordable housing, um, it, you know, the solution is not to go in and bulldoze everything around and um, build something fresh that the community that lived there and some of the only houses that people could buy, um, you, know, um, you know, before the Fair House, Housing Act, that, um, you know, to knock down those houses or offer them, you know, um, um, Uh, undervalue in their homes and kind of take over and then the community changes and that's what we feel like that the solution is in a lot of areas you know and mm. um gentrification without justice leading it um is uh, oppression and so um you you know and i think that's something that we have to think about Is everybody wants their community to grow and to change and to to develop um but the answer is not bulldozing so i think when you look at this when you're creating beautiful spaces um for those in that community to have some stability, some safety, some security, um, because what happens? Is it scatters the community, and then they go somewhere else where they're living in the same conditions, and then holding um, landlords accountable that have these um, um, apartment complexes that are not um, doing any repairs on them. They have lead, you know, paint, or you know, just. Um, they shouldn't. They should not be have people living in them. I think though, you know, there's accountability um, with that um, that type of um, ownership too that has to be addressed. Um, now, I hear about people doing um, schools, you know, and um, all over. You know, there's a, a lot of model of schools that are developed to um, serve underserved communities um, and people. Um, what are some of the common mistakes that you see? Um, Happening when when people are starting schools like this? And how have you guys, what have you learned from some of those common mistakes?
2: Yeah, so I think some of the things that I spoke to earlier relative to charter schools, right, is kind of coming in with this approach that um, whatever culture we have is the right culture or the right way of thinking, and you just need to get on board or you won't fit in here. Um, Kind of like you were saying about gentrification, really it's colonization, Right. And we want to avoid that at all costs. And so we want to, um, like you mentioned earlier, we live in the community. A lot of our other leaders and teachers live in the community. And so we want to say, we're listening. We're here. We're doing this together. Um, and we're being informed by um, the people around us and not so much just telling them how they should be or think or live. Um, I think that's really bad. I mean, I think just setting up these... Um, Things that are barriers, like cost or uniforms, or um, just kind of stringent, really Eurocentric type ways of thinking that, like, either you fit in or, or you get out. I think those are some really; those can be really harmful things. Um, I think even the language you use is important. And so, you know, we often don't say we're a private Christian school. So we like to say we're an independent Christ-centered community school, right? And so, even choosing language that becomes more inclusive and more fighting. Um, and I think just being willing to have those really hard conversations and being willing to address our biases and say like, is this really because this is the best thing or is just because this is what we've always seen? And so I think for us, like um, trying to prescribe things, trying to take cookie cutters, trying to take models and put them in places um, can cause harm. And not always, but it can. So I think it's just really important to to be contextually rooted. And I think that's what's been um, a difference for us is that we're really rooted in a specific context. And so everything we do might not work in another community. It might not work another neighborhood in Atlanta, Um, but there are kind of, I think, some best practices in terms of listening, in terms of incarnational living, and in terms of just kind of the way that you process Uh, a place that you're that you're making and that you're making it alongside people using language of of with rather than for Um, I think all of those things are important in thinking about like how do we avoid the kind of common you know church planter low-key colonization type um, approaches to things um, where again it's not always inherently bad but a lot of times it is
0: and I like the way that that's the other thing I noticed that, um, you know, uh, a lot of times you'll see a church and they may have um, a school that meets there or, you know, they, um, you know, allow a school to use their building, you know. But what i notice noticed is that this is a school that allows a church to kind of, um, you know, use, utilize. So it's like kind of like a... Um, You know, a multi-purpose like type facility that you're creating where it's not just so much as like a church having this building that's only used on Sunday or maybe twice a week, but... A school having a room that a church could, could utilize, you know, and so it's a built around the school instead of, um, the church. I like, I, I saw that and I was like, that's a great way to think of it. And I know there's some other, um, churches that are doing that same thing where it's like, you know, why, why are we building this big building to use, you know, just a couple times a week? Um, you know, when we can look, More into community development and what the community needs, especially in areas like, um, you know, um, English Avenue.
2: Yeah, for sure, and this is, I think this is what you see Jesus doing, right? You see Jesus addressing constantly the physical condition of people, right? Giving sight to the blind, the lame walk, the, the deaf are made to hear, the mute made to speak. Um, there is a, a real connection to the tangible live experience someone has and their ability to walk with Jesus in a spiritual way. And so I think we always see Jesus addressing both. We always see Jesus looking at the whole person saying, you're going to be physically restored and spiritually restored. And I think that's the kind of model we want to try to offer the world is to say, it's great um, to get people into church on Sundays. It's great to try to walk with them in some kind of small group or discipleship group. But a lot of these communities just don't, operate in that way. And community is experienced in such different ways. And so if you really want to meet people where they are, um, then what is the expression of your body of believers from Monday to Saturday? What's that look like? And that's what we've tried to address is to say, we're we're a committed group of Christ followers. There's 20 some odd people on our staff who all follow and love Jesus in our own ways, um, walking with people. And we think that will make as much of an impact, if not more than what a church could make on a Sunday morning. And we're really participating in the discipleship of kids and families by spending 40 hours a week with them.
0: Yeah, and I know it's like a lot of people have a heart, you know, to work in these communities and it's not so much as just about, you know, only about loving God, but we have to look at the lens and we live in a racialized society. And so there mm-hmm. are things that we've ingested that allow us to um, have distorted views of one another. And so, um, you know, how do you deal with the cultural challenges and differences between staff and students?
2: Yeah, so I think it comes from again that like ethos, or like what is the ecosystem that you're that you're kind of working in, and so I would say from staff all the way up to our board, um, we have tried to build a new kind of system. We believe that is the most effective way to be anti-racist is to build something else, right? Like if the systems we know have inherent kind of racism built into them, then we have to build something new. Um, that's effectively anti-racist work. And that's from a structural standpoint. But then I think it's all the daily decisions that you make. It's the willingness to lean into that hard conversation when somebody says something that sounds off to you, being willing to say, confront and love and say, hey, this is how you said that. This is how I heard it. I wonder if you could think about that differently because it might make the children feel a particular kind of way. Um, Then it goes into curriculum choices. Like, are we choosing curriculums and stories that represent the people group that we're teaching to? Are we introducing people, uh, our children who are primarily black and brown to people throughout history that have made contributions, not just in February? Like, all year long, are we talking about the great things that Black people have done for this world? <laughs> yeah, all day. Um, and then I think that um, restorative practices, right? So our discipline structure is restorative practices versus kind of these retributive policies of suspension or expulsion. And so everything that we do, you see us um, with the kids that are having the most trouble. You see us pulling them closer as opposed to pushing them away. And so I think it's the it's the structural things, but it's also just the, the choices you make on a daily basis and constantly asking ourselves how are we um, laying down our privilege laying down our power um, to effectively be present with a, a people group um, that is here so that they can flourish and so um, I think all of our staff that are non-brown or black um, are invited into a process that's, that's really welcoming and warm it's not like hey don't be white like, you're white, that's okay. Um, but it's like, hey, here's another perspective. And I think when we develop real authentic relationship within that community, um, really powerful things can happen over a long period of time. But it's, I think it's that committing to each other and saying, here's what we're doing here. We're not going to mince words about it. We are trying to be anti-racist in a world that is racialized, um, to use your language, and that's going to be hard. Um But here's what we're committed to. And here's how we're going to continue to think through it. And here's why we're thinking through it.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, What current projects are you working on um, at Peace Prep?
2: Oh, We have two really, really exciting projects. Um, We're in the early stages of a capital campaign to actually build a 35,000 square foot facility. So our community um, didn't have a school for 20 years a school that was here last close mid-90s um, and has been kind of falling in on itself. And so we believe it's really important for the community, for those walking by, driving by, passing by, to see a beautiful school building that represents the hopes and dreams and a future for our community, an institutional anchor um, that can be um, on, the, on the corner that we believe um, the Lord's doing a powerful work. And so we're trying to build a 35,000 square foot facility. It's a $15 million project. Um, Um, And we believe that it's going to have uh, enough classrooms for pre-K through 12, a gym, a library, some community aspects, and a full commercial kitchen. So really... um will enhance the life of our community in more ways than just through the school. Um, and then another project we're working on, which will be even uh, shorter term than that one is, we uh, did bulldoze one property that we owned. There was a house kind of that sat between our school campus and our apartments um, that was that hub for activity that you talked about. You know, you would frequently see somebody drive up, drop a suitcase, somebody else comes in an Uber, gets the suitcase... That kind of thing. Um, we took that house down and we're actually gonna build in its place three units of retail and six more units of housing on top of that. And so we'll have a corner store which will have, you know, a market where people can get fresh food, we'll have a barber shop where people can spend time um, and and get their hair cut, and then we'll have a laundromat for our tenants. So they'll have key card access to a laundry facility as well as a leasing office, and then that'll allow us to have six more units of housing. And so that's gonna project's gonna start next month. Um, and hopefully and take about a year and so really again focusing on a new layer for us another layer of the onion which is economic development and so education housing economic development employment again these are all things that are addressing the ecosystem um, for kids and families to flourish
0: and I love the idea. If you understand what um, barbershops and um, beauty salons mean in our community, like this was the hub where um, wisdom and nuggets and all those things are are taught and learned. You know, um, right. you know. I just, you know, just from my youngest childhoods, I was fortunate to, to be able to go to a salon and, you know, just, just have great memories about that. And um, even taking my little brother to um, to the barbershop, like, I mean, you you can bust a gut in there <laughs> laughing and, you know, just, just all kinds of things. So I think that's something good uh, when you think about our communities having some of those staple things, you know, and um, in, in the community. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And so you said you break ground when?
2: Next month. Okay, next month. And we're going to put
0: everything... Okay, March or February.
2: Sometimes, yeah, March.
0: Okay, cool. And we're going to put all this information up so those of you who want to get involved, if you're in the Atlanta area, um, if you're not and you want to donate towards this, we're going to have all that information up. Um, I wanted to, um, as you know... Um, how can others um, get involved? So you can tell specifically. We're going to put some information up, but what are some things that other people can do? Because I know some people are listening to this and say, like, "Oh my goodness, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this growth. I want to learn from Peace Prep. I want to, um, you know, come and check out the community and and see what you you guys are doing. Um, you know, because you're cre- you're creating a great blueprint um, for others to follow. Um, I haven't. I know there's, this is happening, you know, throughout our country, but, um, I haven't heard of a lot of it. And so it's good to have this right here in the Atlanta area. And I think, um, it's so instrumental when you think about this is the birthplace of the civil rights movement. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, for this to be happening in that area, it's just really significant. And, um, and so some of these people that, you know, went to these schools, you know, we need to get them <laughs> on board too, you know, um, with this. Yeah. But, um, how can others get involved? yeah
2: that's a great question and i think it's it's fun to talk about on this podcast because we had somebody who listened to an episode you did with lecrae um who heard about us and then ended up coming to volunteer at our golf tournament they came from alabama um to volunteer at our golf tournament and then they came and spent some time with us on campus and so it's a good reminder that um come and see like come and see and uh yeah, that, so the number one way is to come and see, get in touch with us, and come see what we're doing. Come walk, come walk it with us. Um, I love the story in the Gospels where um, John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, like, "Hey, are you the one, or is there another one to come?" And he says, "You know, yeah, go go back and tell them the, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear." And, and that you just have to see it, and you have to see the evidence and the miracles of God to really get engaged with this story. Um, so you can find more information about that on our website. You can go to www.peaceprep.com. You can follow us on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Peace Prep or Peace Prep Academy or Peace Preparatory Academy on Facebook. Um, But get involved. Um, You can sign up to receive our newsletter. You could become a monthly partner, our peace partners, um, who give on a monthly basis. Um, Or you can just just follow what we're doing. Just watch it. Um, We send lots of information out um, through our website, through our podcasts, through different channels, um, because we want people... To know what God is doing in such a way that they want to go do it in other parts of their life. Um, so we know some people will come and they'll get involved with what we're doing specifically, and that's great. And we know some people will come and be inspired and then go do it somewhere else, and that's also great. Um And so we love to be a learning lab if we can. Um, so come walk the grounds with us. Come see what we're doing. um, And then connect with us and stay connected to us.
0: Uh, what's next for peace prep so i know you're uh, building um you know the the uh, ec- doing some economic development and you know you have this plan for this this uh new school um what else what's next for peace prep yeah,
2: so middle school. So we're going to have seventh grade next year. We have sixth grade this year, which is kind of middle school. But yeah, getting into middle school, we're going to relaunch our after-school program, hopefully, as the weather starts to warm up and COVID starts to do something different. Um, those are a couple big things on our plate. And so... If you're looking for a great school to work at, um, we're getting ready to kind of release all of our job postings. We'll have a lot of positions available next year for our growth. Um, and then we're hoping to get to 100 kids next year, which will be really exciting for us. That's a milestone in growth. Um, and we're just excited to, to really do more of what we do and at a greater depth to continue loving and serving kids and continuing to grow our roots in this community um, and just opening our hands to say, Lord, whatever you have for us, we want to walk in it.
0: Okay, so um growing to one hundred kids, open middle school. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, middle school students are the best. And I know some people are listening and said, what? I have one. Nah. <laughs> uh, but they are. It's and it's such a um just critical, um, it's critical years, you know. Um, you know, and that's when you really begin to see, you know, some of the cultural and um, racial divisions happening in that that, that sixth grade um, year, you know, some of the beginning stages of middle school. And so I think there's a lot that could be done, you know, um, you know, within that, you um, age range um, that can benefit society as a whole if we really focused on it and and leaned into that and not try to pretend like it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist (laughs)
2: yeah yeah I was a middle school teacher so I have a special heart for that age group because I think yeah you're they're right on that cusp of they still listen to you a little bit and they can be influenced and then they start to get to eighth grade and have a mind of their own and you can see kids do some really amazing things in the world. I, I still talk to several of my students. One of them comes back and um, substitutes at Peace Prep all the time. She's graduated college now. And it's just special to see um, kids start to get excited about something. And we really get the opportunity to just to water what the Lord is doing um, in their lives. And so I think, yeah, we're really excited about this um, next season for us. Um, it'll be, we're we're in the middle of our seventh year. And so I think the Lord does something with sevens too. So I'm excited to see what the Lord does um, to just increase um, what he's already done in these first seven years.
0: Seven years, I love it, I love it. Um, so what are the things that um, you know, I always ask this question with the guests on the Be the Bridge podcast. You know, because um, we talk a lot about lament. You know, because we feel like that mm. is a process of reconciliation, and it's something that we don't do well um, as as the church as a whole. You know, and I think it's a good. Good to practice because um, lament, I believe, leads us toward hope. You know, mm-hmm. um, it is a, a part of our way of worshiping God and communing with God. You know, um, what are what are some things that you're lamenting right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm lamenting the reality that schools like ours have to exist, right? There is something um, I I would say again for people to kind of dig into the history of this in the South specifically. Um, white Christians are really the ones who kind of established private schools as a mechanism to maintain segregation. So there's a very it was a very racist intent in the initial creation of white. Christian schools, Christian private schools. And I think I lament the reality that we still have to convince people that kids are worth investing in in this way, that people still ask a lot of questions about how much it costs and why this and why that, and you have to really prove to people that this place deserves to exist. Um, I think I also lament the reality that um, there are generations in our community who didn't get to experience What we're creating. There are parents, there are grandparents who, um, in a sense, are still hopeless. Right? They don't believe that there's anything else that's possible. Um, And I lament the reality that that 20 year life expectancy gap exists in our community because a lot of kids die young and a lot of kids don't get to even finish school. And so, you know, by the Lord's grace, and we haven't had to experience any loss like that in our history, but we've seen the funerals of kids who um, either died to violence or were run over or just the different things that we know happen all around. And so I, I just lament admit the, the fact that the conditions in our community are not for the flourishing of, of people and that's sad. Um, and it's, it, but there, uh, like you said, it's not without. We're not without hope. Um, but there are some really just sad realities about the situations that our kids and families walk in and out of on a daily basis. Um, and so, and and there is something that we need to own in order for real reconciliation to happen. I think that we have to own that um, Christian people perpetuated systems of injustice to the point that we're still trying to change a trajectory in the life of someone. And I think that is is something we have to be honest about and and lament.
0: Yeah, so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's kind of like we don't want to continue to repeat the mistakes of history and perpetuate, um, you know, um, injustice and acts of racism, you know, within the body of Christ and we see that and that's what so many um of us christians are lamenting you know this denial um this deflection um and this defense you know of Mm -hmm. you know um of racism and systemic racism and the impact of that and how the church played a major role um so i I, I, my prayer is that we repent that you know we repent and um we repair you know and restore, and so um, that's right. Step yeah. two
2: and three. Yeah. I mean,
0: there's yeah, a lot, of empty, repent. <laughs> there yeah, a lot of empty there repentance. There's a lot of empty repentance. There should be some action after that.
2: That's right. There should be some action. you know, John the Baptist says it best, right? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? It's it's an ongoing process um, of repair, and I think that's the work that we see ourselves doing. And again, we open we openly invite people to come and learn more about that, so that they can be a part of that fruit that we'll see from this repentance
0: bear fruit and keeping with repentance so good i love that um i, I would end there because that was so good but i also want to uh, talk about what are the things as we close this is the last question um you know benjamin what is something that is bringing you joy right now
2: Oh yeah, my kids. I think are bringing me a lot of joy, a lot of joy and pain. Um, but they're in that they're in that stage of life where um, they're getting to explore their interests, and um, that's exciting to see. And in, in getting ready to kind of emerge from this COVID reality and getting to do sports again and things like that. So that's bringing me a lot of joy in my personal life. Um, and I think the school uh, brings me a tremendous amount of joy. I think getting to see people come alive and come awake to God in new ways through the work that we're doing um it's just it is a privilege and it's an honor and it brings me a lot of joy to walk with people and see them um come to realize gosh something really hard happened here but something really beautiful is being made out of that and so that brings me a lot of joy and then the last thing I'll say is I love reading um and it sounds weird but I'm reading a lot of books on trauma and uh spiritual abuse and things like that. And it's bringing me a lot of joy just to uh, have a vision for how God wants to use um, the church uh, to restore a lot of places that are broken in our world. And so I'm, uh, it brings me a lot of joy to get to know more about how God made our bodies, and our minds, um, and how we can heal from those things.
0: So good. Thank you so much. This is, I mean, you guys, this is bringing me joy to know that um, work like this is happening in our community. Um, You know, this is something I know um, as a nonprofit ourselves, we know how it is trying to raise funds and do all of this, but I do believe that this is a part of the redemptive and restorative work that leads us towards reconciliation, that leads us towards shalom. And so I know as an organization, um, Be the Bridge is going to uh, be getting behind um, Peace Prep, and uh, we'll be contacting you on, on some things that we're going to be doing as an organization. Um, just... Of a way to show, um, you know, we're, we're all also working on the problem, but we also are working on solutions, and so, yeah. and we want to partner with organizations that are also a part of those um, solutions. So we look forward to developing a continued partnership with um, Peace Prep. Um, shout out to LaCrae for you know yes. for um, you know. Um, you know, talking about this on Instagram and getting me really curious, and um, having him on um, the podcast and um, being able to talk about um, um, peace prep and the work that he's doing there, and um, you know how he's partnering with you guys, and then you know going to see for myself, you know, and saying wow, you know, because I go I go to Rwanda and um, do work with an incredible organization called Africa New Life, wh- whom I love um, the 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 vision of, of Pastor Charles and. When I was talking with you, I was like, we have a Pastor Charles here, right here in Atlanta, you know, and I just, I, I love that because, you know, um, African New Life has this holistic approach and I love how they do it and how it's being led by Rwandans and it's a beautiful work. Um, and then that's what I, I was feeling, you know. Um, when I was talking to you with Peace Prep, I was just like, this is a part of the solution. Like, this is a part of the flourishing of all. And, and just, you know, thank you. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about that. The time that you were talking about, you were praying and fasting for 40 days and God giving you this direction, uh, that is around the time where, you know, uh, Be the Bridge was starting up too. So we were kind of starting up around um, the, the same time and, and, and to see uh, what God is doing um, through your obedience and how lives are being changed and communities are going to be continue to be transformed. And we cannot forget um, those broken places. You know, we cannot move on and turn our backs on um, things that are hard. You know, Um, there are solutions. You know, Um, no one is um, beyond God's repair. You know, I I don't believe that. You know, Um, and, um, you know, and I think broken systems create broken people, you know? Yeah. And, and I think when we start doing something about those systems and creating, um, you know, um, Spaces like you, you're creating with Peace Prep, um, that is what this community needs. But it's also a beacon of light for other communities across this nation um, to print. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Your staff, I know you don't do it alone. You know you, we got to have good people around us, um, like myself, to help us. You know and keep our arms lifted up. And um, and and thank you for saying yes. You know to this. I know it's difficult work. I know it's hard. I mean, I run a nonprofit. I know. <laughs> it's hard it's hard work yes. um, but the resources are there and um, and um, and you know so I'm grateful for that so thank you so much for joining us on the Be The Bridge um, podcast and I'm so glad that community we were a- able to bring this conversation um, to you um, what better time than Black History Month you know um, to talk about this and so if you're in the Atlanta area um, you know go check out the work that's been done in English Avenue and I you know and um Go to the website. We're going to post all the information. Follow them on Instagram and all the social media. And, um, let's make this happen. You know, let's, let, like, they got a capital campaign. Let's, let's, let's go out there and give and make sure that uh, money is the last thing, um, that, um, Benjamin has to worry about. And I think that's the greatest thing. Those of us who are doing this work of justice and especially this hard and difficult work, when we don't have to worry about funds, it just frees us up um, to do this incredible work. So I know we can do it. Um, there's a lot of you out there. Um, so, you know, I just feel led like to say that. And, and so let's make sure that money is not a problem for, um, for Peace Prep. So thank you so much, Benjamin. Um, appreciate you so much. Okay. Go to the donors table
1: if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to BeTheBridge.com. Again, that's BeTheBridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lawrence C. Brown is the senior producer.
0: And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer.
1: Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.